Are we ready? Sure. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Massive Attack podcast. Mm. <laughs> I turned that off. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Massive Attack podcast. I am Joe and as usual my co-host is Mitch. I am. You are. Yes. Not raining tonight, so we're not cooking back in exactly. So let's jump in, have our normal conversation about what we've been up to over the last month. Should we'll we start with gaming? We've been gaming, yes, yes. Have yes. we? What? I don't know. I've kind of gone back in time and I've been going back to Gears of War. After a little flurry playing some multiplayer, I've been going back and playing a lot of Horde mode. I played a little bit of Gears of War Judgment, the latest of the installments. That's because it's free? Yeah. yeah. And then uh, after that, I was like, no, I think I'll just go back to Gears 3. And we talked last month about how we were a little bit disappointed with Gears 3, but after playing a lot of Horde mode and multiplayer just recently, I've realised that, yeah, maybe the story wasn't great, but the actual gameplay is still very good. So so you played the story of Gears 3, or you played Horde mode in Gears 3? No, I've been playing... I originally played the story mode two mm. or three years ago, and just was a little bit let down with the ending. Yeah. And I didn't really go back to Horde as much as I had with Gears 2, but just recently I've been playing Horde, and I've been playing like Wingman and a couple of the other multiplayer stuff and um, yeah I'm really digging it okay. and so Wingman that's when you go on dates with Dom and you're gonna like so he tries to pick up women and you because I don't remember that in the game but no Wingman is like a two player uh, multi so there's teams of two and basically you can restore your life of your partner if he gets shot and you don't lose until both of you are dead <laughs> but yeah it's kind of cool cool but yeah, I've been playing a bit of that. Other than that, I haven't really been doing much on the Xbox. My kids have decided they want to play a bit more Galaga, so we've been playing that again. Galaga. And following on and following on from you last month, we actually fired Peggle up again. Ah, the pegs. Other than that, yeah, my Xbox has been sitting dormant really because so I've been playing Galaga. Other stuff. So you're um, getting want to show them Pixels. Well, we went to the movies to see Minions last month. I mentioned on the podcast, and the ad for Pixels came on, and my eight year old was like, "I really want to see that movie," and I was like, it "I might really be for him. I really don't want to see that movie." So it's going to be a, a date with him and his mum. are actually going to go and see it. Mm-hmm. So she's drawn the short straw, <laughs> and I'm going to take the little one to the latest Thomas movie. So. So yes, I don't know who's getting the better end of the deal there. I think it's going to be me. Well, yours is shorter. Yes. All of the ads for Pixels, none of them make me want to rush out and see Well, the reviews should be enough to say don't. Yes, I was looking at Rotten Tomatoes the other day. There's only one movie at the moment that's reviewing Well, I was about to say, it was like 17% for Pixels, but it's only 9% for the new Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. Yes. Anyway, we've kind of got off the track of gaming there and we've started talking movies. But yes, yes, yes. yes, that's my Xbox gaming. Other than that, I have been playing a new app on iOS, which is Angry Birds 2. And again, Angry Birds, never heard of it. Well, it's this little game. <laughs> yeah. I don't think many people have played it. You've got these birds. Are they and they're angry, I guess. Well, they're a little bit cheesed off because the pigs steal their eggs. And yeah, it's a physics game. Yeah. But everyone in the world knows Angry Birds, I'm sure. Yeah. And my kids are pretty much obsessed with Angry Birds. Angry Birds Star Wars more than anything, I guess. And now Angry Birds 2 came up because they saw an ad on Angry Birds Star Wars saying, download the app. And they're like, can we download the yeah, app? Yeah, well, I might drop the C word early this episode. Okay. But I've heard. Yeah. Who makes it? Rovio? No. Yeah, they're the ones, Rovio. Yeah, they're a bunch of Cs. Really? Well, the way you play it. 
before you bought the game and that's it. Yes. You, you have the game. Now it's, oh, you've played long enough. If you want to play longer, you either have to wait a certain amount of time or if you want to play now, pay us money. Yeah, pretty much. They've fallen Bunch into, well, yes, they've fallen into the same trap of Candy Crush where you have five lives and you can have your five lives and afterwards they run out and you can get an extra life by watching an ad or you can pay money to get more lives. But mm-hmm. thankfully we haven't actually paid any money yet. We've watched a few ads to get extra birds and extra lives and my kids are quite enamoured by some of the ads that they have. Game of War and War Dragons, which they think is quite exciting, but we haven't actually succumbed this to download. I mean, I understand this is a way to make money. Now, I'm still playing Spellfall and I must admit, starting to waver a little bit because they keep overtaking lands that I've, like, they retake the lands I've taken so I've got to go back and win them again. It's like, I don't care. But, you know, you can spend all this money to power yourself up in that and I'm just getting way underpowered at the moment. So it's just like, I'm not going to give you any money. I'm going to leave the game before I spend money on this so you're making it very easy for me to leave. But I, I can do it freely. I can play the game for free. I would rather play, like, something like the original Peggle. I loved it because I bought that game outright. Exactly. And I played it a lot. Yeah. There's no in-game transaction, and that's what I want. And I went looking when I, around the time I picked up Spellfall. I actually went looking for games that were just a game. I just bought it outright, and I played it. That yeah. was it. And everything had in-app purchases. And I was like, I don't know. Well, I, I think the thing is, though, with Angry Birds is it's not as engrossing or addictive as Peggle would be. That I don't think you would want to just sit there over and over and over trying to do the same level and continuing. Because like Candy Crush, if you pass the level, you don't lose a life. Mm-hmm. So if you can, you know, jump on and, and do multiple levels in a hit, you're not going to worry about well, having to run out I of I did lives. like that about Candy Crush. I did like the fact that it stopped me playing. Yeah. And it was going forward. So it's a good thing because Peggle has got me in that thing of I, one more game, one more game. I don't mind it as far as that. It, it is a limiter in that way. But, you know, with Angry Birds being such a popular game in a format, when they go and change the format to make more money, it's just like, oh, come on. Yeah. You, I, I can see that it would upset probably kids especially. My kids, when they play it, they only play it every now and then. So they're not really sitting there for a long time. But mm. my, my four-year-old will play it, and he's not very good at it. So he doesn't pass the levels quite regularly. So he will jump on and burn through five lives very quickly, whereas my eight-year-old will pass them levels and you know go through it a bit quicker or you know last longer i guess than you know passing out but i can imagine if you were a kid that isn't very good you would just sit there and you'd burn through your five lives and then you'd wait you know know, a couple of hours and then come back and burn through your five lives again but I don't know. Graphically, it's nicer than the original. There's a couple of new birds that have different... No, they keep adding stuff. Because I, yeah. I played, like, when it first came out, I played a couple of games. So the Star Wars one, and you got a Luke one, which has a lightsaber and stuff. So they... Yeah. And, and there's they've... a Rango version. So there's been plenty of Angry Birds. There's a Transformers one or something? I think there is, yeah. Yeah, so... Like and there's Catapult King that I got sort of addicted to for a little while, which is a first-person Angry Birds physics shooting type game anyway. But, uh, but yeah, other than that, I, I haven't been playing a great deal. I did dust off my MAME emulator on the PC based mm. on a, a recommendation from your other podcast Geek Dudes where you were talking about Vendetta and I thought yeah I haven't played that since it was in the arcade so I fired that up one Sunday morning and 45 minutes later I'd actually gone through all seven levels of Vendetta and finished it which Not is having a, to pay no, 20 cents to consume exactly I just pumped it full of credits and had like 100 <laughs> lives and went through it pretty good Vendetta being a side-scrolling Streets of Rage type beat-em-up with bosses at the end of each level no gay guys. No, not the version I had. No Leatherman. I, I think that was only in the Japanese release, although I, th- I can remember that from the arcades. But maybe that was the first one, because Vendetta is Crime Fighter 2. Maybe that's just in Crime Fighter. 
Uh, jumping onto trains and having you know, gay leather men try and hump your legs. But anyway, that's my gaming. What about you, Mitch? Well, Portal 2, did I talk about it last time? You mentioned that you were thinking about I it, I think. started it. Yes. And I'm still playing it. That, yeah, that was, that was fun to get into a game that sort of got somewhere. More of the same. If you know Portal, you know Portal 2. Very funny. They've added uh, Stephen Merchant from The Office into it as a voice of one of the robots. And that's very funny. That's more I can say at the so far. It's got to a point where I haven't touched it for a week because it was a, a bit where I decided I don't know how to get out of here and I haven't got to a fa- FAQ. So it has got a bit of a story. Oh it's yeah, not, yeah, it's not just it's puzzles with a story. Okay. Oh, you got you should play Portal One seriously. It's, I, I have played Portal One. You lent me the orange box, remember? You and you... I got to a bit where I just could not pass one one little bit. I think it was second to last mission or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you had to kind of shoot down to jump in and then kind shoot of speed small in the air, shoot yeah, out, yeah, and speed yourself up really fast and then jump out. And I just could not do it. So yes, yeah. it's it's tough. I'm I'm not good at Portal. Fair enough. Yes. Yeah, so I've been playing that. Um, my nephew came over, so he was looking for a game to play with him, and he's he's a, have you got Call of Duty? And it's like, no, well, I've got Call of Duty 2, but I'm sure that's not what you're after. <laughs> have you got Black Ops? It's like, no. So, I had that once, but then I went to the doctors. <laughs> so um, I did have Halo Reach, and I know he's a Halo fan as well, so I was like, let's play that. So I cracked the plastic on it, and we were fighting each other in the first to 25. Now, I must clarify this guy is nine okay and we were 19 apiece we were doing all right and then he whipped my ass i didn't get another kill and he beat me 25 to 19 so yeah yeah so i suck at halo and then i had to go get ready to, to go out so i put another game in for him i was like oh what do you want to play he was like, i don't know so i put in transformers full of cybertron it's like mm. and he's like oh, this is pretty good I was like i know That's is that the second one? first first one he's like oh this is pretty good i was like i know man That's <laughs> Why? But then he got bored because he got to a bit he couldn't do and he couldn't, ah, I'll suck you, Halo boy. You can't get through this. But anyway, so I haven't actually played it again, but I want to. You watch someone play it. Yeah, and I'm like, yes. oh, I kind of want to do that again. But speaking of watching people play, uh, I think I mentioned that I tried Brothers, The Tale of Two Sons, a couple of months ago. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And I just could not get my head around the controls. Mm-hmm. My wife tried to play it during the week mm-hmm. and got even less in as far as I did. She got to pretty much the first obstacle where you have to get one brother to boost the other brother up to the top of a cliff and then he throws a rope down and she couldn't get up to the cliff and she's just like, fuck this game, I'm not playing anymore. Fair enough. So yes. Well, that's gaming. Yep, gaming. What about television, Mitch? Have you been watching anything this week? Yes, yes I have. Ah. Uh, nothing spectacular on the TV itself. I think I mentioned last episode, I mean, sort of getting into true crime a little bit. Yes. So we- just a lot more docos, true crime docos on Facebook or on Ex- um, Netflix or whatever, wherever I can find it. Yeah. A bit of that. And speaking of Netflix, I have caught up with Wet Hot American Summer the first day, ah. which is the brand new Netflix series. Which that- is the prequel to the movie? It's a prequel to the movie from 11 years ago with the same cast that are now 11 years older or no 2001 14 years older okay but it's funny because in the movie they're playing well the actors are playing you know counsellors in a um, summer camp yeah they're meant to be 17 years old and they're obviously 30 yeah now they're (laughs) obviously 40 plus (laughs) playing 17 year olds and it's great like the movie obviously is uh, what 90 minutes a bit longer where this is 8 episodes so they've got a bit more time to tell stories and they go a bit stranger and weirder with it and 
thoroughly recommend it, but definitely watch the movie first before you watch the series. Yeah, because I haven't seen the movie, and we were we were over your house just flicking through Netflix the other week, and we, we saw the ad, and I was like, yeah, this would probably mean more to me if I knew the, the source material. But it's one of those things where it's a massive ensemble cast. and With your crushes, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Michael Ian Black and Paul Rudd. Janine Garofalo was in, a, in the movie, wasn't she? She's, she's in, in the, the series. She's in the series. They're all in it. But then they've ruined it by putting Kristen Wiig in it. No, no she's not in enough. It doesn't matter. But that's all right, then. Mm. So, yes. Anything else? Superstar. Um, uh, Molly Shannon's in yeah. it, too. Oh, maybe I should watch it. Mm-hmm. No Ryan Reynolds, sorry. Not the greatest of actor of our time, no. but they're doing okay. Well, it's um, Paul Rudd's in it, so that makes up for everything. He does. Um, yeah, so really good. Right. Thoroughly recommended, but obviously if you're a fan of the movie. Okay. Yeah. And you have put me down a rabbit hole. I have. Yes, that kisscartoon.me is... It's like my Netflix. I'll just go in and search for things. I won't actually watch anything. <laughs> I'll go say, has it got this? Yes, it does. Oh, I'll watch five minutes. I'll go, I remember that. Let's look for something else. So I haven't watched many things on there, to be honest. I just keep looking at things. Either, does it exist? Yes. Or, I've never heard of that one before. Now I'm typing in random words in the search engine <laughs> to see what comes up. Because it is that full of stuff. I'm amazed. It's, it's a very good website, isn't it? I, I find myself just going into things, watching the intro, and then stopping before the episode starts. Just because I like the theme music of 80s yeah. cartoon stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I've been yeah. doing that. Yeah. So, yes. I, I did try some more anime based on the Kiss Anime website. I thought I'd go and check out the Virtual Fighter anime based on the video game Virtual Fighter. Yeah. I got two episodes in and then decided it probably wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. It was mainly focused on one of the characters I don't really like that much, and that's Akira. But in the game, Akira's like this kick-ass martial artist, and in the in the TV show, they've turned him into this sort of bumbling kid that's obsessed with eating dumplings. So, yeah. It's like don't... Dragon Ball Z. It was very Dragon Ball I, I know nothing about Dragon Ball Z. So I just know he's hungry in Dragon Ball. Sorry, not Z. Ball. That's, balls. Yeah, that's as much as I know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've never watched either of them, so I can't mm. really comment. But no, I, I said I watched a couple of episodes of that and then decided that no, probably not. But since then, I haven't really gone back to Kiss Cartoon or Kiss Anime because I've been busy catching up on another program. And my wife and I started watching Penn and Teller's Foolish, the American series, which has just been started on the CW network in the States. And I think they're now six episodes into that. But We've been enjoying that so much, we've actually gone back and watched nearly all of the original British season. Cool. I, I love Penn and Teller, and it's one I haven't actually hunted down for whatever reason. No, well, I'm a I'm a very big fan of Pendulate, and I do quite like the idea of, you know, magic is just the idea of how do they do it, and can I see how they do it sort of thing. And the uh, the, the concept of Foolish is it's Penn and Teller having magicians come and try tricks for them, and seeing if Penn and Teller can work out how the trick is done and if they can't they get a, a trip to Vegas and they get to perform like as an opening act for the Penn and Teller show and it's also hosted by Jonathan Ross and Jonathan Ross is a very funny man and very English in its humour and he's even in the American series he's still carried on that English sort of humour okay but yeah the, the English season it's as I said it's very English some of the magicians that come on have that you know I'm all right, geezer, sort of real sort geezer. of... well, Blackpool sort of comedian. Yeah, exactly. They're all sort of that sort of English carny trash sort of people. And I think I've said sort of about five times in that sentence. But as far as the American season goes, a lot of the performers are that kind of how you'd expect American magicians to be, the off-the-strip Las Vegas magicians. And there's a lot of stuff that you can watch and you think, yeah, I can see how they've done that, but it's still very entertaining. And, and Penn and Teller themselves, mainly Penn, sort of says, yeah, I know how they've done it. And one thing I will say in the English episodes so does Teller talk 
every now and then. Oh, he does? Okay. And he, he'll sort of say things at poignant moments in the show just to make it a thing. But you can see that he's actually, you know, conversing with Penn when they're discussing. No, but he doesn't talk to camera. He, every now and then. Oh, okay. Not, no, because I mean, I've never seen him speak. Like, I mean, that's his shtick. Yeah. But I'm thinking if this is a show where they've got a guess, it's always going to be Penn who's talking. He's He's got such a descriptive face teller. And every now and then he'll be the one that kind of explains how the fool has or how they've done the okay. trick but he won't say it he'll sort of just gesture and use like drawings and stuff in, as I said in the English one if someone does a trick and they know how it's done they're real bastards about it because they will come out and say you know I, I saw you do that card trick there was a force there you made them pick this this card yeah. and the poor magicians you know had holes torn apart sort of thing well, I suppose I mean Penn and Teller are very good yeah. and I guess if you're putting yourself out there in this show to say I can fool you yeah. you're putting yourself there to be criticised yeah they say that yeah and it's funny because one of the guys that was in one of the early episodes did like this you know off the shelf magic shop type trick yeah and he had a lot of personality but the trick was just you could tell exactly how he did it and then he came back on a few episodes later and it's like I had this dream and I I know this trick and and there's no way you're going to do it and I have no idea how they did it and yeah he fooled them and just the the trick itself was he got them up to do like a little decathlon of brain tricks and stuff he made them play darts with each other and he then made them write words out of like a scrabble board with magnetic letters and they made words up and then the last game I think they picked numbers or something like that and then at the end of it he had the scores from the darts and the answers from the words and the number or something that they picked in a piece of paper in his shoe and I have no idea how he no obviously he didn't know what they were going to say he he wrote it down somehow and and did the, the palm sort of thing and brought it out but I couldn't see how he did it Penn and Teller had no idea how he did it but he was just that typical, very fast-talking, sort of Cockney yep. English, like, really well-done act. And, yeah, I, I loved it. So, do they... They've got to pick it there and then? They don't They don't go and watch it on video? No, no, it's all have to completely live. No, right there and they, they do the trick, talk for a couple of minutes, just sort of going, you know, is this, this, is this. And So, do they ask him? And a lot of time, they'll sort of go, oh... Was it this? Did you do a force here? And, and they'll sort of go, oh, no, I didn't, or yes, I did. Or Penn's very cryptic, and he'll mention other famous magicians. Like, one woman did a knot trick, and... Penn was like, oh, do you know of the Keller knot trick? And she was like, oh, yes, I do. And obviously, once they say that, they know that they've, they haven't fooled. But no, it's like some of the tricks, like obviously they are well-known tricks because Penn and Teller pick them straight away, but it's still really entertaining. And they're very humble in the fact that they're like, you know, you got it. I, I know how you've done it. I just didn't see you do it. And, you know, you're still very entertaining. But yeah, even some of the people that haven't fooled them have been really good. There's one guy that was on the English season called Piff the Magic Dragon. Mm. this little English dude that performs with a dragon onesie and has a little chihuahua with him with a dragon suit on the chihuahua as well and him and Penn hit it off so well after they did the show that he's now moved to Vegas and he's like real buds with Penn and mm. he's actually on this season of America's Got Talent okay. trying to you know make a name for himself in the States I'm hearing a bit of vitriol in your voice when you say English very English is this the Welsh coming out are you, are you really <laughs> angry at the British here or what no. maybe I, I don't know but speaking of things that annoy me though there was an Australian girl on the American season and she was just the fakest person I've ever seen in magic she was just over the top a fake person in magic I know it was terrible uh, like David Copperfield or something yeah but no she was She was. yeah it was kind of weird watching this Australian do her magic and I was like oh, yeah. you know, you're giving Australia a bad name 
But like, you know, all those other Australians that go to America and make a big clue. Yahoo Serious and Paul Hogan. But anyway, yes, I've been watching that. I've also been watching a little bit of wrestling as far as Lucha Underground goes. They came Mm -hmm. to the end of their season and they had their end of season, I would say pay-per-view, but it was just like a two-hour spectacular called Lucha Underground Ultimate Lucha. Mm -hmm. And it was a nice way to wrap up the season. They're not sure if they're getting another season at this stage. There's been talk that they need more money to be able to put on a quality show. So they're looking for other distribution rather than just the El Rey Network. But it sounds like they are keen to do another show. That's just a, a matter of when and where not if. so is it it's not like a raw or wcw or wwe show where it's just ongoing constantly so you're saying it's a season yeah it so was, all the storylines wrapped up at the end of this yeah pretty much they kind of nicely tied up most of their storylines i left a couple of them open with the idea that they are going to have another season but from what i heard they filmed i think it was 33 episodes including the the end of season finale in a matter of a couple of weeks and because it's filmed for the American audience and the Spanish-speaking Mexican audience, they, they've actually been doing, like, double takes of all the promos backstage rather than just doing it and then dubbing it into English or Spanish. They kind of film everything twice. So they've got a real movie mentality with the filming because it's produced by Robert Rodriguez, who's got, you know, a lot of movie yeah. television background. So they've been doing a lot of... Yeah, you know, quite high production as far as the backstage stuff goes. Yep. And the wrestling itself started off probably not that lucha. It was very American-based, but then over the course of it, they've brought in quite a few people from the AAA Fed in Mexico and kind of turned it into proper lucha libre, lots of dives to the outside, multiple tag matches, stuff like that. But I really enjoyed it. Cool. So, yes, I'm hoping it will come back for another season. Excellent. And two other things I've been watching, thanks to my children. The first one, thanks to my children. We were watching a bit of Iron Chef the other week on SBS. Is that still going? No, they're old, old reruns. It was something I'd seen before, and I actually fell asleep on the couch. What was the secret ingredient? Scampi. Yeah, that's a fish thing, isn't it? It's like seafood. Long clawed prawns, I think they actually referred to them as, but they didn't look very nice. But I'm not a seafood person. But no, I was watching that, and I fell asleep on the couch. My kids were sort of running in and out, playing footy in the backyard, doing whatever. And when they came back in, they woke me up. An American Ninja Warrior was actually on, and I've watched a little bit of this before but since my kids have watched it they are now super hooked on ninja warrior so this is like Wipeout, but a bit more yeah exactly without the stupidness yeah it's, it's more literally a fit person yeah it's all these like crossfit guys doing this monster obstacle course and some of the stuff they do it's like i look at it and think to myself i could not even you know go one inch on this piece of material you know these material and stuff. Is that the one where, like, the last thing you've got to climb up a, a vertical rope? Well, of course it's a vertical rope. Uh, but it's a rope and you've got to ring a bell at the top. Or was that one of the other uh, That was on the Stone Cold one, though, where they have to climb a rope. No, it's like at the end. Like, I couldn't yeah. climb the rope anyway, yet alone at the end of doing a couple of minutes of obstacles. Well, most of the stuff on Ninja Warrior, they finish with a running up what they call the warp wall. And it's like a skater's quarter pipe or half pipe only more extended on the top so they have to run up curved 12 foot vertical wall and grab the top and haul ass onto it but some of the stuff they do there's there's one where i think it's called the wall of knobs or something like that and it's like an archway with doorknobs and they have to hand over hand climb across these knobs and it's like 12 foot in the sky 12 foot in the air with like water underneath so if they do fall off they won't hurt themselves but they're not solid knobs they're turning so they're they're gripping these knobs and these you can see them when they do the close-ups that their hands are turning the doorknobs as they're trying to climb so it's, it's like massive upper body strength these people need and they have women do it as well it's like really impressive that oh, some of these women do it because you know women women can't, women can't do anything, women can't do anything. exactly but <laughs> 
but no, they, they make a big deal of a couple of the obstacles that, you know, no woman's passed this obstacle. And it's like... Well, like misogyny. That's exactly. the biggest obstacle they've got. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and wage fairness. And, yeah. yeah. Rights to everything. Exactly. So if you miss... Like, with Wipeout, you miss an obstacle, you sort of take a time infringement by swimming to the next one and keep going. But if you miss one thing on this game, it's over. No, right? on this, if you if you fall off, if you touch the water, bang, you're out. That's it. Yeah, and there was one guy that was a favourite and everyone was like raving about how good he was. And I think they do finals in different states and then they yep. end up at Vegas for the grand final. But he'd passed a couple of the other stages in other cities really easily. And they were making a big deal about how he was going to breeze through this one in Denver. And there was a bit where they had to swing on like a rope to another rope and then land in this cargo net. And you got to carry moonbeams home in a jar. Yeah, exactly. They have to climb underneath the cargo net to get to the platform. And the water in this one city was like closer to the net than the other one. And he just breezed past the water and the back of his ass sort of just touched the water. And he was out because of that. Would you rather be a fish? <laughs> so, yes. And my kids are now running around the house, like, jumping from the couch to the, the chair and standing on the table. I used to do that when my cousins, when Iron Man was on telly. Yeah, so but- we'd go into the pool and we'd do swimming legs and running legs and virtual riding on a bike. Well, they, they now want to be... triathlons and I remember, yes. They ne- oh, that's an Iron Man. I thought yeah. you were talking about Tony Stark. No, 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 no. Okay. Back in the 80s when, like, I remember the thing, like, Grant Kenny. Yeah. Did you eat Nutri-Grain? No. Because you probably didn't realise it was so bad for you back then. So, no, my kids want to be American Ninja Warriors. And we're waiting for the weather to be a little bit nicer. Good to have a dream. We're going to go down our local park and we're going to run an obstacle course around the park and see if my kids can, instead of falling in water, land on tan bark. (laughs) And we'll see how we go. But aside from watching things with my children, I have been watching another older season of a TV show. We were looking for something to watch on TV the other night, my wife and I, and Pretty in Pink was on. Uh-huh. And we were just flicking channels and we were stuck on that for about five minutes and James Spader was in. Not a big role in Pretty in Pink. And my wife just happened to mention that she had a big crush on James Spader back in the day. And we were talking about some of the stuff that he's been in. And we were looking at his IMDb and it came up with The Blacklist, which came out in 2013. Mm-hmm. And both of us didn't really know what it was, so we thought, oh, we'll see if it's around. So it's because you don't watch free-to-wear talent. We don't. So we watched... Uh, so you don't get bombarded with ads for it. No. Literally bombarded with ads for it. But we're now watched six episodes in the first season of Blacklist and we're hooked. Hooked? Yeah. Have you ever watched it? No. Do you like James Spader? <laughs> do you like Mel Carter? Um, <laughs> I do. Well, James Spader was in Boston Legal with... Mm-hmm. The Shat. Yes, William Shatner. And I think some of Shatner's acting has rubbed off on James Spader okay. because he has that syncopated William Shatner sort of speech now. Mm-hmm. But the premise of The Blacklist is he's helping the FBI solve crimes and meeting people that are on the most wanted blacklist. Or is he? Well, I don't know. You don't know. We don't know that. You don't know. But, yeah, six episodes in. The ads piss me off. Because every week it's like, oh, what's he fucking with them this week? They don't actually say that. But it's sort of like... (laughs) Not in that tone of voice, obviously. No, but he's just like, ah, he's fucking crazy. We can't trust him, but we love him. Exactly. And And that's why we like him, I think. My wife's just enamoured with him. Still? Yeah. With that bald, yeah, round even, head. Even though he's, he's now old and... With a stupid hat? Yeah. He wears some pretty snappy suits, though. Snappy. I, the thing I don't like about it is the fact that he's picked this rookie agent to be his... You know, Clarice. Pick, Clarice, exactly. And she's like seven weeks on the job, but yet treating Sounds her... Sounds like, like a euphemism. 
seven weeks oh, on the job. Oh, she's so seven weeks on the job. Yeah, but she she's a, a real novice, but he's treating her like she's some super he's, a, he's so smart, though. He sees something he in knows. her. He knows. Yeah. He's put her there. He, he, he's that genius. Hmm. And I like the fact that they've got a fairly unknown actress to play that role, because I think if they'd picked someone who was more of an established actress, it might not make you think as much of her as being a rookie. I don't know. The only thing I've seen her in, she was in one of the Step Up movies. Oh, wow. But not as a dancer. She was like the main no. character's sister or something. But, anyway. but yes, so Blacklist. <laughs> and I did watch a couple more episodes of Carnival. Yeah. Because I don't want to fall into the trap where we talk of something up on the show and then I never watch it again. Anything after there was one episode that went on for about 45 minutes and then at the end one of the strippers got killed and that was the only highlight of the show. And then my wife and I were like, well, that was a bit of a downer episode. And then we realised it was because Clancy Brown wasn't in that particular episode. And I think Clancy Brown is what keeps the show together. So, so I am gonna, he's immortal, right? No, he's a priest in this. Who's immortal. I don't know. He can only die if you separate his head. And he puts pins around his neck. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. But, yes, we. I will go back and watch a bit more of that. We did have a, a comment on Facebook. What? We did, remember? Yeah. Yeah, Michael. Oh, yeah. He commented that I should stick with Carnival because it gets better in, in the second it. season, so I'm going to stick with it. But anyway, that's television. Shall we jump into movies? Why Ugh, not? And as usual, Mitch, you have had multiple trips to the cinema. Uh, somehow, in the last sort of... I don't know, and just saw a bunch but yes I have I've seen a couple I saw Ant-Man because it's who I am not an Ant-Man you're, you're Ant-Man no I'm not I almost I'm Anthony yes not a man not a man no. <laughs> um, I saw Ant-Man and it, it was fun now I've heard everyone who's reviewed this and they've all said the same thing no pun intended it's a smaller film but it's true it's not world level devastation it, it's a it's a littler film in that way that it's it's a heist movie Okay. It's very much the Iron Man movie, the very first Iron Man. It's almost the same tone in plot. Well, that's good, because the it first works. Iron Man was good. Yeah, exactly. And it works. You love it, because it's got Paul Rudd. Exactly. It, it, there's nothing wrong with it. It's it's good. Everyone it's, says it's, it's Paul safe. Rudd being Paul Rudd, though. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. Robert Downey was being Robert Downey in Iron Man. Yeah. So they cast him for a reason, and they've cast Paul to be charismatic and likeable, and they've done that. Do you think it suffers from not being a guru? No. I mean, it's a fine movie. What he would have done, I don't know. There's a couple of scenes in it which you sort of go, oh, that's Edgar Wright. That's so Raven. Where maybe they're not. People are going to put that on the movie going, oh, that's an Edgar Wright bit. This is an Edgar Wright bit. But maybe it wasn't. But maybe it was. It would have been fine if it was an Edgar Wright movie. It would have been its own thing. But this is a very serviceable addendum to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And does it fit in with anything else? Yep. Oh, nice. I mean, it, it links in. It doesn't, you know, you could joke saying, oh, he's in all the other movies, you just don't see him. But um, none of that shit. <laughs> none of that shit happens. But um, it, it is definitely linked. There is cameos, so you can sort of link it to the other films going forward. But, you know. Nice. But, well, uh, it, it's a fun movie, and you can take your kids to see it. My kids? Yeah. Like, I th- well, eight-year-old, yeah, no worries. Hmm. I mean, Goose will probably be a bit... <laughs> won't know enough, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's sort of like, oh, whatever. But um, you could easily take a 10-year-old to this thing. Okay. I mean, it's not, you know... I kind of wanted to see it while it was still at the cinemas, but I think I might have left uh, my run a bit still be on. It's not like Fantastic Four. People are going to go to see. Yeah. Okay. And the other big movie that you've seen at the cinema? Was... The latest Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Rogue Nation. And it's good. Okay. Someone asked me which was the best. Was it better than four? And I was like, I don't remember... <laughs> All I know is, one, I never was a big fan of. And at the time, it's 20 years old, which is amazing. He's been making Mission Impossible movies for 20 years. But the first one was like Tom... And it was probably the, the early days of hating Tom Cruise, when it was sort of like, I don't really like you, for whatever reason. Yeah, back then it wasn't cool to like Tom yeah. Cruise. And Mission Impossible was like, oh, he'll never be James Bond. I want to be James Bond. I'm going to... This is how I become James Bond. 
Yeah. And the thing I... My memory of Mission Impossible was the odd rerun of TV, of the original series, and the 80s, late 80s remake they did. Yeah. So that was my memory of it. So it was a team-based spy show. Yeah. And everyone had their own attributes. And in the first ten minutes of Mission Impossible, they all get killed, and he's on his own, and he's gone rogue. You know, and it's like, oh well, where's the team? No, this is just you being super spy and not part of the Mission Impossible force because you're disbanded and gone rogue. So I sort of was a negative Nancy to it, yeah, in that way. And uh, like the, the helicopter during the tunnel looked a bit hokey at the time. It Wait, looks even more hokey now. Was it Mission Impossible Two that he does that, like abseiling down into the room? And no, that's in it, and that's iconic now. Yeah, I was, I was about to say that's one of the things that everyone remembers about Mission yeah, Impossible. and everything's copied like Entrapment did their own version and people do their own versions of that pressure sensitive plates that you know so it set the tone for a lot of action films going forward then Mission Impossible 2 was filmed in Australia by John Woo and a friend of mine worked on it and you heard even more things about Tom Cruise being a wanker and like you said oh, I was in the room with him twice during the filming I was only asked to leave the room once <laughs> But it was, and it was, it's quite what famously known that it was written around five action sequences. Like the action sequence was written and then the plot had to fit in around it. So, and it, it looks like that. Yeah. It's got some cool bits because it's John Woo action, but yeah, it's a very forgetful movie. Which is the one with the exploding fish tank? Is that the very first one or is that the second one? I think that's the only one I've seen. It could be the third one. I don't know. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman in it? Yeah. That's the third one. All right. Which is, I think it's the best one because I don't remember it. <laughs> It's just like, I remember at the time going, that's a really solid action film. Because he got J.J. Um, Abrams to direct it. And it's just a really solid film. The villain is Philip Seymour Hoffman, and he makes sense. And he's a prick. And all these sort of things that, you know, you got Philip Seymour Hoffman, you're going to get a good role. Yeah. But he makes sense, the way he acts makes sense. There's no ridiculous, oh, I'm going to set you up, the torture device, walk away, and you can escape from it. He's just a prick. Just kill them, just do this. And the way he acts, it just makes sense. And it's just a really solid action film. Yeah. And from memory there was it was flawless in that way but it wasn't bombacious or whatever yeah where and four was directed by brad bird from memory and it looks and it felt well directed in that way like someone who does animation you're going to get everything all the pieces in place first and then direct around these action pieces really well and it's a very solid good film again can't fault it this one i think was the jack reacher director directed it which yep. is a hand-picked by Tom Cruise. And again, it's a solid film, and I can't really pick a favourite out of the last three, anyway. I think I, I, I enjoyed the pants off it the whole time I was in there. I mean, if you want to pick holes through it, you can. They're there to be picked through. Same with Ant-Man. Like, if you wanted to find th- problems with it or f- look for things wrong with it, they're there, but they weren't enough to take me out of the film to go, I'm not enjoying myself anymore because of X. It's just like, eh, whatever. I know what I'm in for. Like, there's a motorbike chase in this Mission Impossible, and it's great. Like, it's one of the best car chases I've seen in a very, very long Yeah, I've time. heard that. A lot of people are saying it's the best car chase ever in a movie. It's... And that's quite a big call. That's a big call, and I, I don't know if that's correct or not, but it's good. It's bloody good. Okay. Probably best motorbike chase I've seen, but I haven't seen talk. <laughs> Me either. But yes. Yeah. And you've had a trip to the new refurbished Astor Theatre? Well, Astor when you're saying you were refurbished... About that. Well, they've got new owners, haven't they? That's, that's about it. Because <laughs> I was expecting to go in. This is the first time I've gone back since they've reopened. And oh. I thought they've gone, they would have done the decor, they would have re spruced things up, they would have changed the seats. And they've done nothing. Okay. 
but I don't care. It's still the same old Astor. I like it. But well, I, th- I don't know what they shut down for. Like, I don't know what that time, what they did in that time. Well, I think it was a matter of uh, the original owners not being able to keep up with the repayments anymore and selling it off. And then there was talk that it was going to get torn down. And then, yeah, they finally decided to reopen. And thankfully, they're still going to be a revival cinema. Yep. Playing some good old stuff and mm. the occasional new thing, which is what you saw. Yeah, so I saw a double of Pitch Perfect and Pitch Perfect 2. And I saw Pitch Perfect 2 because it's now out on Foxtel here as well. So so we've talked about Pitch Perfect in the past. Yes. And I, I think I texted you saying, I think I've seen a lot of movies a lot. As yes. In, I've seen Star Wars a lot. I've seen Mad Max a lot. But I think if you said, what have I seen the most... And it was probably one of those films. But what have you seen the most in the last five years? I think Pitch Perfect might actually be my number one movie. Sadly, it's one of those movies where you'll flick through things and you can't decide what to watch, so you end up watching Pitch Perfect. Yes. I've I've watched scenes from Pitch Perfect quite a bit. I don't think I've sat down and watched the whole movie all that often, because I do fast-forward through bits. But, yeah, being a huge fan of the first Pitch Perfect, I don't know about you, but I was a little bit underwhelmed with the second one. Uh, it's clearly nowhere near as good. Nowhere near as good. No. But it was fun. Now, you there's something about watching certain things with certain people or where you see them. Yes. Like, there's different ones. You know, we're still talking even after his travesty of what you said last episode about Fast and the Furious. Yes. You watch it on the couch with your wife, who obviously the wrong way to watch that film. Yeah. Because you can't say that. No. 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 It, it does need to be on a big screen, roaring along with no distractions, though. Fast movies. You would have... I mean, it, it's not as good, by far. No. I, I totally agree with that, and I will probably not bother watching it again. Like, if it's on tally, I don't think I'll even bother just leaving it on. Like, I did like a few scenes. Yeah, there were a couple, but not like, like the, the first one. The singing battle scene where they go to the... Like the hidden nightclub party sort of thing, I thought was pretty good. Yeah, but, but it could have been better. It could have been a lot better. There's so much that could have been better. Um, the things, the songs weren't as good. No, and that's what didn't get me into it. Like, I mean, they got Dust Sound Machine doing Muse, and it could have been awesome, but it just wasn't. Yeah. And there was this, a lot of it was that. It's like, oh, I liked what they did there. They just didn't do it well enough. And oh, that's really cool. They just didn't do it well enough. And they went for the gag way too much, where it was really silly jokes. Yeah, like I mean. There's, that was funny in the first one because it was a fairly straightforward movie with these weird asides every now and then. Like, Fat Amy was like, you're in her own movie and the commentators are in their own movie that was separate and there was just way too much of the weird jokes or out of the, yeah, I don't know. Non-sequitur sort of jokes. Yeah. And I thought that too. I thought in the first one, Fat Amy and Boomer kind of had their little moments and they had the lines that every now and then they would just pull off and it was great. Who's Boomer? Boomer is Adam... Levine. Adam Levine, yeah, the guy from Workaholics. Uh I just found that he was, I don't know, trying too hard in this one. They were just trying to force the comedy more. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it was directed by Elizabeth Banks, who is very good. Like, she's she's the commentator, the female commentator. Yeah, I've, I thought that the commentators were probably the best bit of the movie. And, that, and that's where it goes silly again. Yeah. Um, like, some of the stuff they do. But that works, as long as everything else is played sort of straight. And don't get me wrong, there is, there's flaws in Pitch Perfect 1. Yep. Like, it is a ridiculously flawed film for a movie that I like to watch often. Because I'm watching it again this time. It's like, oh, that's shit. That's why this is shit. But I don't care. <laughs> and it's like the boyfriend, or well, when he becomes a boyfriend, he's just too perfect. Yeah. He's a ridiculous character. Why are you hanging around? And just things. But then you realise it's a stupid movie. 
that's why things happen because they need to because of plot where this one feels a little more forced in that and it, it, it's such a ridiculous setup it's sort of like you know it's like those 80s movies like um police academies and revenge of the nerds or whatever they just escalate ridiculously it's not like the next day it's sort of like oh now they're going overseas or now they're going you know what i didn't understand is I, I don't know who the target audience for this movie is like it's it's made out to be this women empowerment women doing what they like but still i think it's teen girls and early 20s girls but no, no, no. They're, they're all still getting about in very skimpy outfits. There's the pillow fight scene, and there's the other scene where they're, like, hosing each other down. And then when they get to the final battle at the end, they sing that Beyonce girls who runs the world. And my wife's sitting there going, oh, now they bring out the feminist message. And it was a shit. And that, that's, yeah. again, that didn't work. Because that song actually sucks as a feminist message. Well, oh, for me, anyway. For, for anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I like. I don't know if it's aimed at teenage boys or whether it's I aimed think at it's teenage a, there's an attractiveness girls. to teenage boys to see it because there's a bunch of hot chicks singing. Well, speaking of that, I really don't understand where they went with the whole Anna Kendrick's character being enamoured with the leader of the Sound Machine, and every time that was that funny big, though, I was love funny, that. that was I don't my... know. Like every time this big blonde woman from Germany spoke, and Anna Kendrick's like, "You know, you don't scare me, but you can't turn me on like a little cinnamon. bit." <laughs> uh, yeah, it was good, but I, I don't lo- know I where lo- it was going. If it was more of that, it was kind of clever and weird. But it was, yeah, like you said, the Adam Levine stuff was sort of pushed, and the Rebel Wilson was elevated to a more yeah I mean maybe if I caught it again all those things that piss me off like Pitch Perfect 1 they piss me off but I look past them But it, and it's all about the songs and I don't think this had the songs no one thing I did like about it though because in the first one she's all about doing these mashups and stuff and she's keeps putting her things together and admittedly they weren't that big a deal in the end like yeah she got played in a radio like the yeah, at the, the, at the college radio yep. station that's it she didn't get discovered or anything but she used mashups to win the, the competition. acapella competition yep. where now you know and what's her name Keenan or Peel which one is it I don't know one of them the record producer she's interning for you know, she does the mashup thing. It's like, oh, that's well done. Snoop Dogg, he's, a, he's actually quite good in it. But then she goes and gives him a demo. I was like, well, this is just mashup. Any kid with a computer can do it. It's like, exactly. Yeah. What you're doing is not that special. So at least they address that. And I think it's funny. You sent me a text while you were watching it. And I think the wording was, Anna Kendrick looks like she's just smelling a fart through the whole movie. The whole time. <laughs> I think that's every movie. But she's just got that weird scrunched up nose written through her teeth squinty eyes just like who cut some cheese <laughs> but I kind of like it <laughs> sort of look on her face it's weird I think we've given Pitch Perfect 2 enough of a, a time on the podcast here <laughs> I yeah I mean I, d- I liked it but I didn't like it as much as I hoped I would no I wanted to like it more yeah and it wasn't there for me but it's funny because we talk about wrestling all the time and there's a valet uh, in the WWE called Lana and they sort of were talking it up that she's off making Pitch Perfect 2 and she's in Pitch Perfect 2 and you saw it before I did and you said I didn't even see no, I didn't. And I'm like, huh, I'm sure I'll say I saw it on a much bigger screen, admittedly. And I'm why. looking for it the whole time, going, I'm going to find it because Joe didn't say I'm going <laughs> to say it. And I'm thinking, it's not the leader of the dust sound machine, is it? She sort of looks a bit like that, but she's, nah, the teeth are wrong. It's yeah, just exactly. not her, but it could be. And then, no, there's a bit of spoilers. Turn it off now if you're going to watch Pitch Perfect 2 because our audience is really going to be that audience. But at the end, they sort of get all the old bellows together because, you know, you go to fucking Denmark for this shit. <laughs> anyway, and they've got like literally. 50, 60 yeah, people probably. of varying ages in their ballet uniforms in the background behind them singing. And she's one of those girls. That's yeah. it. And Katie Seagal is one of them as well. No, she's yeah, actually married with children. Oh, no more. The original <laughs> fucking song. Why? 
if it's all about fucking doing covers and they actually address that in the fucking plot of the movie don't do an original song they fucked it up in Glee they fucked it up in Pitch Perfect 2 it was re- ridiculous stupid yeah, for me that, that I didn't think of that as being an original song because that Jesse J song is all over the radio and all over music TV as well but it's, but but it's an movie. original song in the movie yeah, it's but, Jesse yeah. J is she? no but oh, Jesse, Jesse, Jesse J, J wrote that song and performed that song so it's not a, but it's, it's not an well, original song then. It, I'm it's confused a, now it's, it's an original song for the movie it wasn't like released before it's, the film that's no, it doesn't work. People it's, aren't going to go, I don't know. It's like when a band comes out, we're going to play stuff off the new album. No one wants to hear that. No, no ever, ever goes to the bar while they're Exactly. Like, no one. So it's like people aren't at a cappella competition, aren't going to go nuts for this song they've never heard of before. Stupid. Is this? Okay, on that. Let's get out of Pitch Perfect. Whoa, what's magic? Another fairly recent movie I've watched on Foxtel. Mm-hmm. And that is a little time travel movie called Project Almanac. I've heard of this. Well... That's about it. I know it's time travelling and that's it. And talk about things that are annoying. We saw the ad for this and it looked all right. The premise is it's a bunch of high school kids that are going to try and get into MIT, which is like the big engineering school in the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Something like that, yeah. Something like that. And... Could be Michigan. Could be Minneapolis. Could be lots of things. But is it Metropolitan? I don't know. But um, MIT is famous. Someone write in and tell us. Does he? You know, when listener. <laughs> it's a famous school, and this guy's trying to get into MIT. Mm-hmm. And his dad, we find out, has gone dead or missing gone or something. Gone dead. <laughs> From when he was a kid, his dad isn't in the picture anymore. And we find out that his dad was a bit of a scientist. A and bit. he, the, this young 17-year-old boy, who I can't even remember what his name was now, and his sister, who walks around in cut-off jeans and a singlet the whole movie, they go up into the attic and find some paperwork that their dad made with... So they go up and they're looking for engineering projects that their dad might have done. And they find a video camera from their dad and they're watching this video and it's of the young boy's seventh birthday, which is the last time they saw their dad. And in a little snippet in the video, they sort of scan past a mirror and his modern self is in this reflection in the mirror. And they're like, what's going on? You know, how, how did this even possible? And then they find out through a bit of a convoluted plot that his dad made a time machine and it's in their basement. And their basement has been locked since he was seven. So like for 10 years. And they've never looked. And they've never looked. Fuck you. So they find this time machine. They steal some hydrogen from the science lab at, at their high school and they power up this time machine that, Initially, they make a like a little remote control car with a GoPro go through time, and then they decide that they should all get together and do it. But the premise of the movie is quite good, yes. but the delivery is just fucking terrible. Dad. It's produced by MTV Films, uh, and it's like of Joe's a, apartment of a generation. Well, worse than Joe's apartment because that was years ago. This is of a generation of kids that like cell phones. So the whole movie is found footage filmed on cell phones and it's just I don't know it's just grating mm. and it's not a long movie thankfully it's only about an hour and a half but there's about a half an hour scene where they go to Lollapalooza uh. and they go and watch Imagine Dragons play at Lollapalooza and they make a big deal about them dancing to Imagine Dragons and then they zap back in time to like the week after and they buy these backstage passes so they can then use them on the day so they can get backstage and see Imagine Dragons again and it's it's like one of those things where it, it's kind of product placement gone very badly that they put this whole extra bit in and they make Some a big deal. of Imagine Dragons. Yeah, they make this big deal about how it's Lollapalooza and then everything kind of goes wrong. It's at like Friends when they were so excited about hooting the fucking blowfish. Yeah. Fuck. 
but Pretty the, and the fucking it, it's a typical tra- time travel movie where it's a group of people saying that they'll only ever group you know go as a team and they won't do anything solo and there's one girl that's so allegedly the hot so chick so and again the, the feminism in this movie that when she's trying to get his attention she's running around in like these skimpy outfits and once they start going out she like wears you know long pants and a long sleeve shirt because <laughs> she's not trying to get his attention anymore that happens. but she's all over him like a rash and he, him being a nerd doesn't pick up on it Mm-hmm. So he then goes back in time on his own to actually make a move on her when she tried to make a move on him. And what he ends up doing is creating that ripple in time. But, <laughs> but the ripple. Yeah, because they kissed, someone else didn't get to meet her, and he's the star of the basketball team, so he doesn't go to the basketball game, and then the team loses the, the basketball final, so the dad, who's a pilot, doesn't take the day off and ends up crashing his plane and all this sort of very convoluted sort of ripple in time storyline. But, yeah, as I said, the premise was really good. And after I watched it, I just wanted to go back and watch Primer again Uh because it reminded me a lot of Primer. It tried to be clever, but it came... You said safety not guaranteed? Yes. Okay, that's another time travel. Yeah, it is, but that's got um, Audrey Plaza in. I don't really like her very much, so, yeah. What are you going to get put put with Bell's palsy? Seriously. (laughs) Yeah, people that don't know how to act in very different emotions but doesn't look like she's smelling fast <laughs> no she doesn't but yeah I don't know I'm, I'm kind of glad I watched it but then by the end of it I was like oh fuck this movie but we'd got to the point where we were so invested in this movie we couldn't turn around but anyway <coughs> one other new movie I've watched and that is Nightcrawler I want to see that and it don't it, spoil it it will kind of tie in with the movie that I watched the day before I watched Nightcrawler because everyone was saying he is a Monday Travis Bickle oh. And it is very much like Robert De Niro's character in Taxi Driver. And without spoiling Nightcrawler, I did like it. At the end, I didn't like him. Like, Jake Gyllenhaal is not a nice person in this movie. Mm -hmm. And then as the movie progresses, you realise just how much of a not nice person he is. That's a double negative, but I don't care. There's some really good other other acting in it by Rene Russo is pretty good in it. And Bill Paxton's very good as the other TV video type person that he gets the idea of becoming a a video recorder. So the, the premise, without going into spoilers, is Jake Gyllenhaal's a bit of a loser and he's looking for for work and he stumbles upon the idea that if you film crimes and stuff like that you can sell it to the news and they use your footage and you get royalties for it so he goes about buying a police scanner and looking for these news stories and filming everything he can and he gets this relationship with Rene Russo who's the news producer of the struggling basic cable news channel and yeah it's just the the demise of his character but without going into too much more spoiler but I I enjoyed it I I can see why people are saying that it is Oscar bait and Jake Gyllenhaal might get a a nomination for it because he deserves it well he's also in Southpaw which comes out this week which might I don't know I haven't seen it so I don't know but that could be Oscar bait too well everyone says that Jake Gyllenhaal falls into the trap of just playing those sort of quirky characters because he's that sort of quirky character himself but mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know I haven't seen enough of his movies I don't think to, to really make my own opinion of that yeah, he was in so. that other time travel movie a little while ago Donnie Zoko no not that one the one where he's Source on the train code. with a bomb yeah Source Code I quite enjoyed that but I don't know. But yes, the night before I watched Taxi Driver, uh, night before I watched Nightcrawler, I actually went back and watched Taxi Driver because yep. that was on Foxtel as well, and it made me just realise how well made movies were in the seventies. Mm-hmm. 
it was kind of the the sixties movies. You can tell is a sixties movie, but then when they got to the seventies, it's like everything changed. And yeah, a seventies right. movie. Well, is there's the, a book called Easy Riders Raging, Raging Bulls, and yep. it's all about the seventies filmmakers. And then you had your Scorsese's, your Oliver Stone, your Francis Ford Coppola, Spielberg, Lucas, Bogdanovich the rebels and they sort of took control of hollywood like you had mccarthy's in the in the 50s maybe even into the 60s yeah mccarthyism and all that sort of stuff so vietnam sort of happened so there was the the end of innocence happened and it was sort of like no watergate all this sort of stuff jfk got blown away i could do a lot more lyrics from what else do i have to say yeah. so the, the, the end of the innocence happens there so you had these you know rebel filmmakers coming out making the movies they wanted to make so yeah. you got mean streets taxi driver american graffiti not that it's bad but it's just you know it's these are the movies they're trying to make it wasn't studio films per se deer hunter a lot of people with things to say yeah and godfather some, some um, very confronting films too yeah and, and I guess they were starting to push the limits on nudity, drug taking, um, language, all these sort of things that you could do. And uh, that's something that you really notice in Taxi Driver. Like, I, I've seen this before and it was a while ago that I watched it. And watching it again, I didn't realise, A, how violent it was. There's a few scenes, especially the shootout near the end, where it's just very confronting. And the whole idea that, you know, Jodie Foster's this, you know, 13, 14-year-old prostitute. Mm-hmm. Harvey Keitel was her pimp, and I didn't remember that from the first time I saw it. But, yeah, it's just very, very gritty, that sort of old New York. Awesome New York. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'd love to go back in time and visit it, but I, I don't know. I'd be so scared at the same time, because it's just this thing. It, it, it's a it's its own personality, and that's why Woody Allen makes stuff about New York, and yeah. like Oliver Stone. And exactly. It's like New York is a character. It's a character. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, I, if you haven't seen Taxi Driver, I... I Really recommend it. How old is Sybil Shepherd? She's incredibly hot. Yeah, I never she, thought that before. No, like watching that movie recently, I'm like, far out, you're hot. I, I can think of when I was in the 80s in high school watching Moonlighting yeah, and I thinking, Moonlighting. you know, everyone raves about Sybil Shepherd, what's so good about her? But then when you go back to this, mm-hmm. she's stunning in this movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. And the idea that he takes her out on a date and they go to a porn theatre. <laughs> Yes. Now, um, just a little discussion about the end of the movie. So if you haven't seen it and you plan on it, just skip forward a couple of minutes. How do you see the ending? In what way? You know how he gets the thank you letter from the family that yeah. she survived. I don't know. I find that kind the of weird as well. he's dead. I thought that too, because the whole thing is Super Shepherd gets in his cab later and she's like, you know, how are you going? But when they had that whole awkward date, she pretty much doesn't want to see him again. And then she's all happy again when she sees him in the cab. I can see that theory. Yeah, I didn't think theory of it that, myself. Yeah, I never thought of myself either. I thought it was, oh, that's a weird ending. But yeah, people say my theory that he's dead because everything just ties up really nice. Yeah, maybe he is. Some of the other supporting characters in this, like Peter Boyle is great. And I love the scene with the gun dealer where he just comes into his into his room and he's like, you know, this yep. is the 44 Magnum. You, you can stop a car with this. You can shoot straight through the engine block. And then this is this gun. And if you want to kill people, you can do this gun. And then, you know, De Niro just sort of turns around and goes, yeah, I'll take the lot. And there's like this massive suitcase full of guns. And it's, yeah. But no, I, I really like it. And I can't recommend it enough if you haven't already seen it. Yes, and that's the beauty. Like I'm, I, I do. I have seen a lot of films. I haven't seen enough. That's for sure. Yeah. And I'm still finding things like Taxi Driver. I haven't seen all the films, and that's a beauty because I only saw Mean Streets last year for the first time, which yeah. is Scorsese's film before Taxi Driver, and it's not as well made. Like it's his first film, 
So it's dirtier, like the sounds dirtier, the camera movement. It, it just feels, and like you said, it's a real film. Like it's, it's yeah. It, I don't get Michael Mann. I've got friends who swear by Michael Mann, where he did Last of Mohicans, Heat, Collateral, Miami Vice. Yeah, and my mates liked. Like a lot of people talk about heat, and when they, and I maybe they saw it when it first came out and it blew them away. I only saw it a couple of years ago for the first time, and I'm like, what's the hype around this thing? Well, see, for me, I, I was never a huge De Niro fan. Like, I really liked Taxi Driver, and I've got a feeling I may have seen it originally because I've seen Heat. Yeah, but I'm I'm on the Heat bandwagon. I really okay. like Heat. All right, my challenge in the next month is to watch Heat. Watch again. it again. Yeah, and I'd, it's been probably since it was out in the cinema when the last time I watched it. Mm. So maybe that's the thing. Maybe we should watch Heat again and see yeah, if it's still holds I'm not, I'm not a thing where Scorsese, you just look at what he does and it's so deliberate, but so real, even watching Taxi Driver or like even Mean Street. Yeah. But I, I just look at Michael Mann and go, I don't know. Hmm. I, I, see, I'm not a Pacino fan. They, yeah, I'm not a Pacino or even or, or De Niro like it does, I can take them or leave them. Yeah. But some movies, I don't go, oh, I'm going to watch anything those guys are in. And to me, Pacino now is the caricature that they make him out to be the hoo ha. Yeah. That I don't see him as anything else. So I probably should go back and do the Godfather movies again, to be honest. Because hmm. it's yeah. been a long time. And I really didn't give two enough time. And I never bothered with three. Hmm, there you go. All right. All right well, the, anything else you've seen this month, Mitch? You've got a couple um, of other I'm things on the run sheet. Like I said, my docos I've been watching. There's one called Crazy Love, because I, I, every now and then I'll just type in a link, and it was top 10 docos on Netflix you should watch, or crazy docos on Netflix or whatever. And it was called Crazy Love. I was like, okay, I'll... So not the Emma Stone, Ryan Reynolds. What's that movie called? Oh, no idea. Ryan Gosling. That's crazy something else, uh, is isn't it? it? Yeah. Crazy Stupid Love. Crazy Stupid no, Love, yes. No, no, no. This is Crazy Love. It's about these New York couple, and this guy was a bit of a philanderer I think he was a lawyer of some sort and he was in love he liked this girl took her out on a few dates she found out he was actually married it's like oh, so she cut it off but he was still so in love with her and she started dating someone else he found out about it so he hired a black guy to throw acid in her face yes I, I didn't know anything about this movie until I looked it up and then I fell into that Wikipedia rabbit hole and I think it was actually lie he threw in his face not not acid oh, well, but just as bad yeah. and I, I can't remember what the guy's name was Brian Poonar or something but yeah honestly and strangely he got convicted of hiring these people to throw acid in her face and she was blind in one eye and partially blinded in the other eye and Mm -hmm. severe facial scarring but while he was in jail he continued to coerce her yep and then when he got out of jail, they got married. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, that is just bizarre. <laughs> it's a bizarre... I mean, that's a sting in the tail, so you don't need to see it now, which is fine, because it's not a good docker. It's just a weird story. So maybe the wiki's the way to go, because it, it, you sort of get through... The docker sort of tells the story of how things got to where they got, where it's like this and that. And then it's like, ah, oh. then I started writing letters to her. She started responding and this, and it's like, I really love you. I want to marry you. It's like, okay. And they fell in love, and they've been together ever since. So it's a strange love story. But they're not likeable characters it's just what? it's a weird it's just a weird story how do you fall in love with someone that's hired someone to throw stuff in your face to blind you well you look at your life as i mean her life wasn't too bad like she got around still like it's not like she was totally blind so she traveled and things like that she got around in sunglasses all the time and she had to wear a wig but she did okay it's not like she needed somebody and he had money and he was gonna look after it's bizarre it's but yeah i can't recommend it as a, <laughs> as a good doco in that way that it's like oh you gotta watch this because it'll 
change you or you get, uh, none of that. There's no no letters to Zachary. It's no the imposter. It's none of that. Okay. Katrina Freeman's. It's, it's, it's not worth seeing. People just read the wiki. It's a it's a fascinating story. It's not the, not a great docker. Okay, and uh, another docker. The death of Superman lives. And this is something I was kind of keen on seeing as well, but I haven't got around to it yet. It's the documentary about the attempt or the... They got pretty far into the making of a movie called Superman Lives back in 1999, 98, with Tim Burton as director, Nicolas Cage as Superman. And it's... They're talking to... They didn't talk to Nicolas Cage, but they did talk to Tim Burton. They talked to the John Peters, the direct, the producer, who, if you know any Kevin Smith stand-up, you'll know who John Peters is. He's yep. uh, Barbara Streisand hairdresser who became a producer who wanted to have giant spiders and polar bears in Superman films, because that, that's what he wants. They talked to him a lot, and he is a funny man. Like, not intentionally funny. He's like, you're a crazy fucking Hollywood hairdresser. It's a good... Do- it was crowdfunded in the end. The guy found some footage or some still photos from the making of. Now, for years, there's a picture going around with Nicolas Cage in this very shiny, rubbery Superman suit with, with a really bad hair. wig. Yeah. And that circulated saying this was going to be the movie and everyone's laughing at it. And they even got to a point where Brian Singer was showing that photo when things were getting a bit low on the set for Superman Returns. He'd bring up that photo saying, this is not what we're making. And it would get everyone back on track. <laughs> and this, the guy who made the docker actually goes, no, there's more to it. And he found out. And there's that was one test fitting of a suit that didn't work. There were so many others. And there's all this footage they've got as him trying different suits. And there's amazing ones out there. And he actually looked really good in the end in one of the fittings and it would have been better who knows what the movie would have been now Kevin Smith wrote the first script Tim Burton got involved as director and Tim Burton's script just disappeared and they got a second guy in and looking at the concept sketches and what the plot was going to be for that second script I reckon that would have been a great movie it would have been very interesting was it based on any particular Superman storyline uh, they sort of based it on the death of Superman, where he died and came back, but not the plot of those stories, just the concept of him dying and coming back. That that was not not the way it played out in the whole comics. Yeah. The second one had some really interesting visuals, like it had Brainiac in it. It was very, you know, out there, comic-y in that way. And it would have... how they The, the effects would have been there, I think, because it was the same time as The Matrix, so I'm assuming they could have done it. It would have been a big ask, but I, I reckon it would have been okay. But they actually went to a third script because the budget got reduced and this and that. And looking at that script, that would have been shit. So I'm sort of glad it didn't get made. Mm. So if the second one got made, would have been good. But... It is fascinating to watch these docos about these movies that never happened that could have. Because there's Jadowski's Dune, yeah, which I want to see, and there's Lost in La Mancha, which is about yeah. There's um, I've heard a lot of podcasts actually talking about that, at and the that's point. Terry Gilliam's Man in La Mancha movie that yep. sort of didn't didn't get finished. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's good being a Superman fan. Obviously, it's it's good if you like film and how they get made and this and that. You look at this going, fuck. You know, a lot of money and time went into this with big names and it doesn't happen. Then you look at things like Fantastic Four that do. It's like how many things don't get made? Yeah, like when you got clout like Burton and cage behind things and it still doesn't happen yet other things do yeah it's pretty amazing okay. in that way hmm. so yeah they're, they're my docos uh, I did in my list I wrote down Dirty Dancing I, I watched again and that was purely Sally put something on one day when I was home and then I was just looking for something else to put on 
in Netflix and I was looking through so you and put I couldn't Dirty find Dancing it. And on. I put Dirty Dancing on and got stuck watching the thing. See, I, I could give, give you a pass with the fact that you said your wife picked Dirty Dancing. But no, no, she picked something else. She was watching Strictly Ballroom. So I was in that theme and I went looking for the next one. I just put it on and I was like, that's actually a really good film. And Patrick Swayze is a bit of an ass in that movie, isn't he? Everyone's an ass. Yeah. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen Dirty But anyway. Yeah. And then what about you? Well, speaking of docos, there's no, one. What other, about you? <laughs> there is one, one other doco I will mention. And that is uh, the Adam Carolla produced, directed, written. Sorry, I'm snoring. You mentioned Adam Carolla. I know. I like, know. <laughs> you, you give me this shit every time I mention Adam Carolla. But Adam Carolla, for those who don't is he know. in this? No. Oh, then I might watch it. He says four words in the whole movie. I can live with that. He is, he is a massive fan of vintage Dick. racing. <laughs> he is a massive dick, too. No, he is a massive fan of vintage racing, and he My actually... can be a real dick sometimes. <laughs> we didn't talk about that. We will mention that in a minute. Um, <laughs> he uh, is a big fan of vintage racing, and he actually owns one of Paul Newman's race cars. That's cruel, making old people race. Vintage car racing, ah. not vintage racing. But he actually owns one of Paul Newman's old Scrotums. Nissan racing cars. <laughs> And he's done this documentary called Winning the Racing Life of Paul Newman about the racing life of Paul Newman. Because not a lot of people knew that Paul Newman was probably as big <coughs> into racing as he was. He as had he is his, into pasta sauce. They mentioned that as well, and salad dressings. But they, Paul Newman had quite a career in racing. He did a movie early on in his career called Winning, which is about racing. And as part of that, he actually went to the some racetrack in America and learnt how to drive by quite a famous racing driver that runs the school. Lightning McQueen. No, Bob Bonovich, the guy's oh. name is. He went to the Bob Bonovich School of Racing and learned how to drive. And following on from that, he kind of got a bit of a bug that he wanted to try it out. And closer to the end of his racing, of his film career, he pretty much stepped away from Hollywood and decided that he was going to concentrate on being a, a racing driver. And he raced in quite a few races in America, and he, he also raced in the famous Le Mans 24-hour race. Mm-hmm. And With Steve McQueen. That was the movie. I think the movie was him and Steve McQueen. Yeah. But yeah. And yeah, it was a really interesting documentary. And you mentioned that it's Adam Carolla, so it's probably going to be shit. But no, he... He's not your typical talking head director where he's the one asking the questions. It's all footage of the yep. person that they're speaking to just talking about the life of Paul Newman. And they speak to quite a few people that were around in the same time. There's this guy called Willie T. Ribs. Willie! Who is the first black racing driver of Indy cars or something like that and quite famous. They, I think it's pronounced Willie Tribs. No, it's Willie T. Dot Ribs. No, it's Tribs. Tribs. Anyway, they talked to him. Uh, they even talked to Tom Cruise, actually, because well, apparently Tom Cruise got into racing after he was hanging Color out of money. with Colour of the Money, and the, he was thinking about becoming a racing driver as well. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. And they spoke to Patrick Dempsey, who is... McSteamy. Yeah, McDreamy. Oh, but he has actually left acting to become a, a racing driver now as well. Yes. And, yeah, and they spoke to John Lasseter as well about the fact that Paul Newman's last role was in movies was in Cars as Doc Hudson. And a lot of the stuff that he did was not really scripted. It was all as hard as it is to believe in a in a animated movie. But a lot of the things that he says is just Paul Newman, just being Paul, Paul Newman. Newman. But, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't know a lot about Paul Newman well, going into this. You see, he only said about four words. I'm happy with that. I might check it out. So check out Winning the Racing Life of Paul Newman, not Crazy Love. 
Okay, that's our recommendation for the, yeah. the month. And one other movie I did watch, and we won't go too far into it because you mentioned it when you watched it, and that is Jupiter Ascending. Did I say it wasn't very good? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My wife loved it. By about an hour into the movie, Channing Tatum just shit me, and I was playing Angry Birds on my iPad while we were watching the end of the movie. But anyway. At the end, she goes back happily to cleaning toilets. Yeah. What the fuck? Because everyone loves cleaning toilets. <laughs> it's, you know, why would you, be a, why would you be a queen of an alien world when you could be cleaning toilets? A, I don't get it. No. Maybe maybe it's the Russian blood in her, right? Maybe. We just alienate our Russian listeners. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got one more movie All right. that I saw, and that was Wet Hot American Summer. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I knew it was coming to Netflix, a TV series, so I was like, I really should refresh that. Because I, <laughs> I, saw, I saw it on video or DVD when it first came out, so we're talking 2001. So that's the last time I saw it, and there was a lot of names in there that I didn't know who they were now. But watching the trailer for the series going, fuck, Fuck, fuck. <laughs> Paul Rudd, Bradley Cooper, Amy Poehler, Janine Graffolo, Keller from Oz, but most people probably know him from Law and Order. Oh, yeah. A few others. There's a bunch of little people that you'll see as character actors in comedy films yeah. that pop up. There's a guy from uh, Veronica Mars in there. It's sort of like, oh, yeah, that's that person, that person. But there's some big names in there, like a Bradley Cooper who, you know... Even when he was in Alias, he was an investigative journalist sort of in this TV show, which Sally knew him from because he turned up in Wedding Crashes as sort of like the evil boyfriend. And I'm like, who? Oh, that guy from Alias. And now you look at him and he's like A-list actor man. Yeah, it's funny. I don't, I don't think I knew of Bradley Cooper until Hangover came out. And then after that, he seemed to be in everything for a long time. And then he's kind of dropped off the face of the earth again. Eh, Maybe it was American Sniper that did it to him. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back and watching that, and it's, just, it's a funny film... And if you go back and listen, I have talked about how much I love summer camp movies. You have. Like meatballs, meatballs. and poison ivy and stuff. And this is a piss take of summer camp movies. And it's like, what? this is right up my alley and I don't know why I haven't revisited it before. It, yeah, I, I've heard a lot of people talk about it. And being the fact that I am a fan of Paul Rudd and Michael Ian Black, I've known of its existence, but I've never actually gone back and watched it. So maybe I should. It's, it's a fun watch. Now, I... The State, you've mentioned before, and I heard, like, listening to Nerdist a lot, they'll always have guests on and they'll either be from or they'll reference The State. Now, this is a TV show, is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and it's just very iconic, I think. A lot of the people come from it. I think the people creating this are from The State. A lot yeah, of I think it was something that we didn't get in Australia. No, we never did. But, yeah, it's a comedy troupe, kind of like Second City or Saturday Night Live. And it was like Kids in the Hall. Like, yeah. There's a lot of stuff we didn't get here. We didn't mm. even get Saturday Night Live here. So Not for a long time, yeah. Mm. All right, well, speaking of comedy movies and television, we yeah. will jump into one last thing before we leave. <coughs> which is really fresh to us. Yes, because we've just come away from watching Seven Days in Hell, which is the Andy Samberg, Kit Harrington tennis spoof documentary. Yeah, it's a... Piss take. Well, yeah, it's, a, it's on the thirty for thirty sort of docos. It's yeah. a sports doco, looking back at the two thousand and one tennis match, Wimbledon tennis match that went for seven days between Aaron Williams Aaron and Williams Charlie Poole. Charlie Poole. And it's his tennis game that went for seven days, and you got all these talking heads to cameras. There's real, there's actors, and there's um, real people. You got Serena Williams who's playing Andy Samberg is playing Aaron Williams, who is in the in the show Serena Williams' adoptive brother. <laughs> and she says in the movie, it's kind of like a reverse blindside that <laughs> yeah. it's a white guy with a black family. And yeah, it, Andy he's Samberg's, playing like a, a, a Agassi type character. Well, I think it's more of a Beyond Borg type character. No, it's Agassi, it? is it? Yeah, yeah, but the, the hair's. Very much under Agassi. But very interesting. 
it was not what I expected. And there was a couple of scenes in it that I, I just found to be hilarious. There's the whole Swedish prison side story. And Dolph Lundgren being the, the inmate that they talk to about what happens in the Swedish prison. And my the- my favourite side was about the court sketch. <laughs> that was my favourite part about it. Yeah. It was... Floating around, it was on Foxtel last week when we were recording and we finally got around to watching it tonight. But if you have the chance to watch this and you're anyway an Andy Samberg fan or a tennis fan, maybe you should give this a go. It's it, it's well done. And, and I said to you at the time when it's finished, because it's 40 minutes long. Yeah. It's perfect. Exactly. Where if it was... They could try and turn this into a feature-length film and it would be too long. Yeah, and it would be wasted. Where it's like, this is perfect. It's in the format of one of those 30 for 30s, a little bit longer, but it tells the story and it works. And you're in and you're out and it's funny and it's well done and they don't pull any punches. Like, no. the swearing, there's nudity, there's all this sort of stuff. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it's fucking funny. Incredible uh, animated recreations. <laughs> And if you are going to watch it, stick to it all the way through the credits because the outtakes of the credits are almost the funniest thing in the film. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that's, that's really good. All right. Well, that's probably enough of us to wrap it on a little bit about what we've done. It's going to be so a longer no episode than this week. <laughs> yeah, longer than normal. On a sad note, we will just mention that this last couple of weeks we've had the passing of one of our favourites, and mm-hmm. that's Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yep. We both grew up being wrestling fans in the 80s. And I, I must admit, and it's not scoring points or anything, but I was a more Roddy Piper fan in the 80s than I was a Hulk Hogan fan. Yeah. And he was meant to be heel, and I just liked him more. I know. It was one of those things where he was the first person that was... You know, called like the bad guy way before Stone Cold or anyone mm. like that. And yeah, there's been a few wrestler celebrity deaths over the last year or so. Like when the Warrior died, I was kind of shocked, but it, I wasn't that upset about and it. Randy and then died. Randy was a couple of years ago now, but Dusty Rhodes died, I think, just after we did the last podcast or just before, but we didn't mention that. But that was kind of a little bit sad, but he was older. But, yeah, Roddy Piper was only 61, and... it has been around forever. It just came as quite a shock when I woke up last Saturday morning and read my tweets and... and so, it wasn't even tributes. sad. I mean, the Warrior was, was sad but happy in the way that he sort of went out on the Hall of Fame note, as opposed to if it went out earlier, a year earlier, it would be a tragic story. But the Warrior went out yeah, tragically, well, exactly. tragically quick and early, but at least on a... Note. He'd made his peace with the WWE and was... He was celebrated. Yeah. It was like he was waiting to make his peace and then yeah. he did that weird promo where he was like, nobody lives forever, and then the next mm. day he died. But yeah, and, and I, Dusty was never really a big name for me. Like, I know him as... Yeah, you the, just know the... the polka dot version. The, the so comedy that's, sort that's of it. Dusty. So I, it wasn't that really tragic for me. It was sad, you know, because I like his sons. And, you know, you think of it that way. Yeah. But Roddy really got me. Like it, And not only was he someone I grew up with, not only with wrestling, but he went into the iconic movies that I love. And then even now, he's ha- he was having a feud, like two weeks ago, with Stone Cold Steve Austin about podcasts and stuff. So yeah. it's sort of like, it's, it's, it's still around. He's still relevant. Yeah, and it's sort of like, oh. And I feel bad that I gave up on his podcast because, unfortunately, as much as I loved him, it's like, I can't listen to this anymore anymore because he was a bit too many hits in the head <laughs> I, I think so because I, I tried his podcast and it got to the point where I just found that it was too rambling and incoherent mm. and then he got a co-host in that kind of reined him in a little bit but yeah again I didn't stick with it because I had... was going to be around yeah exactly. I, 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 I feel really guilty that I gave up on the podcast because in a way because it's it's so instant it's not yeah. like they go and make a movie and it takes six months and it 
comes out or whatever. Or TV is that distance between. The podcast is a real personal thing. It feels really personal because you're listening in your ears. Yeah, it's it's like you're sitting in on a conversation. Yeah, because it's not a radio show. It's a bit different. He's sort of sounding like a radio show. He's a little of, bit. Yeah, because yep. he's in promo land. But it's a, it's a personal sort of thing. And because it's so instant, like he records it this week, it comes out that, that next day or whatever. And you're listening to it. So it's all very real and tangible and mm. he's gone. And they're sort of like, oh, I've missed out on something. It just sort of... I never felt that with the others. And this one just sort of... Yeah, that, that's exactly it. So probably not since Owen Hart died was probably the last wrestling death that kind of touched me. Maybe Eddie Guerrero. And I, actually, I think probably more Kenyon. so. Eddie Guerrero, because I wasn't in a good place when it happened. And, yeah, when he died, I probably watched a bit more to more you know, too many tributes to Eddie Guerrero and it's sort of sunk in a bit more. But no, with Roddy Piper, it was something that it was a shock because he was young and I didn't realise that he was sick. He'd beaten cancer once before and now he's died of a heart attack in his sleep. So, yeah, that was so, it was a sad note. But so, we're not, not going to rest on that. We're no, going to celebrate. We are going to celebrate him and I think we should all go He was fantastic and we can always go back and watch everything that made us love him. Yes, definitely. He's not been wiped out of the history of WWE. It still exists. No, I'd say go back and watch you know the original WrestleMania and just see how good he was with those promos and go back and watch They Live. How comes the frogs now? Yeah. Immortal Combat. Exactly. Body Slam. The Highwayman. He's been in a lot of things. Yes. So, yes, Roddy will be missed. But not forgot. No. And thankfully, they did a very nice tribute to him on Raw with some pretty shitty music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, yes, let's celebrate the life of Roddy Piper. And on that note, we should probably wrap up this month's podcast because we have gone longer than we thought we did for a topicless show. So if you have any feedback for us... I think we do too. You've got to compensate for something. <laughs> anyway, if you have any comments for us... Like uh, Dodsy did. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Facebook. We are facebook.com slash the Massive Attack Podcast. We are the Massive Attack Podcast.com. And you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you find good podcasts. And I might dig up a Roddy Piper song to put on the end, but if it's not very good, I won't. I'll pick something else. And until next month, thank you, Mitch, and we'll see you soon. Bye bye.